Good afternoon. Welcome to Tom's World Language Cafe, coming to you live from Fishers, Indiana. That's north of Indianapolis. It's a little town that is becoming a big town, over 100,000 people. And uh, welcome to Tom's World Language Cafe. And uh, thank you to the Apple uh, Corporation for helping sponsor this uh, podcast. And also, thank you to all of the guests who have been on this previously and all the listeners. And please try to subscribe so that you get every show when it's on. It will come, a link will come to you and you can listen to the show. Um, we are very fortunate today, especially, in, and I think uh, Steve, my guest, is excited about this as I am. First of all, we, we're excited that the Milwaukee Bucks won the tournament last night, the NBA championship. We're elated about that. And congratulations to all the people in Wisconsin. Uh, especially Milwaukee, uh, for, for those that uh, follow the Bucks, and I really follow them a lot. They're one of the great teams uh, in the in the world, really, right now, with uh, their amazing big man, Giannis, the center. So, uh, at any rate, please uh, stay tuned. Uh, join us again in in August for our next show, and I will tell you that our guest, his name is Steve Brock. And it is a great honor to have Steve because uh, he comes to the show with a world of experience and beyond. And I don't think anybody we've ever had on the show has been as well-traveled as uh, Steve is. And with his education experiences, it's just a real pleasure to have him on the show. And we want to thank him immensely. It's a great honor, as I said, uh, to, for him to, uh, for us to have him here on the show. Uh, good afternoon, Steve. How are you? Good, Tom. I'm doing great. And congratulations to the Bucks. I remember their last championship team was one that I followed with Lou Alcindor, who became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and then Oscar Robertson, the Big O. So that was one of one of the first championships I remember in the late '60s. Now, what you probably don't know is that the Big O, you know, was from Indianapolis, right? Right. I and and uh, our high school. When he played our high school team, which was not any good, you know, it was very poor. His high school team, he's, when we played them, he scored 64 points. And he broke the high school record in Indiana for the most points scored in one game. And that's how good he was. But he was, just, he was phenomenal. But, yes, uh, we're excited about that. Listen, I wonder if you could tell the listeners a little bit about yourself um, where you're originally from, where and where you went to school, and then uh, um, and we'll go from there. Okay. Sure, I won't. I, I won't spend too much time on my background, but because it is really pedestrian, I was born and raised in Kansas City and lived there for the first 18 years of my life. And uh, I was fortunate enough to go to a Jesuit prep school in Latin and took a Three out of four years, my fourth year, I decided I didn't want to work that hard. So I, this is pre-standards, and I took history of rock music and battles of the Civil War instead. But then uh, after graduation, uh, went off to college, and eventually, during the Reagan administration, I was in the Jesuits most of the time. That isn't something I tell a lot of people, Tom, but uh, it is pretty important to my history, especially vis-a-vis -vis education, because coming out of the novitiate, I was sent to Creighton University to study humanities. And Father Greg Carlson came there, and 
he asked me what I wanted, what language I wanted to study. And everybody else in the group was going to study Spanish, which was fine. And it was presumed that I would study Spanish too. And he asked me what I wanted to study. And I said, German. He goes, oh, that's great. Uh, for myself, I got a doctorate from the University of Heidelberg. And so, you know, so I studied German. I really enjoyed that. And studied that both in St. Uh, both the Creighton University in Omaha and then uh, in St. Louis at St. Louis University. And continue to take that even in St. Louis. Um, I was basically studying it for philosophy. And so while I was still in Omaha, I took 16 hours of French, guaranteed to drive yourself crazy in one summer, so eight hours a day for about eight weeks or so. And um, then after I left the Jesuits, I went up to Minnesota and got a master's in English. Uh, that was about 1991 or so I finished that up. And then I began teaching at Omaha South High School, which is a minority-majority school. And I thought they were hiring me for English, but it seemed that they were hiring me for German also. And I had a provisional license in German. I finished that up. Uh, and the German has just gotten more and more successful as I kept doing it. I would do, you know, I'd wear my later hosen. And I never took a foreign language methods course. So I guess I can say that now. But I, I really was very invested in going to conferences. Uh, I was active. And I would urge language teachers to get involved with their local associations. I soon became the Nebraska state president for the AETG, and then I was the state president for foreign languages. So I went to a lot of conferences. Later, I was the chair for the Central States Committee on, on Teaching Foreign Languages. But I always tried to pick up something whenever I was going to these conferences. So I think my teaching got better. And by the end of my second year at South, I wasn't teaching any English anymore. I was just teaching all German. And I did that for seven years successfully. And then the supervisor, Sharon Watts, uh, bless her memory, she retired from OPS in 1999. And it was just the time where I was uh, completing my administrative degree. And I was just taking these classes. And I thought, well, I should get in this administrative program with all these other people. They're no smarter than I am. And uh, as soon as she was retiring, I was all ready to go. And then I took over for her as the language supervisor for the Omaha Public Schools. She had been in charge of ESL also, but my division was just for uh, what I changed it to, international languages. And uh, you know, I enjoyed that quite a bit. I did go on during that time and complete a doctorate, a PhD in educational leadership there at the University of Nebraska at that time. Also at that time, I was getting further and further away from German. And proficiency is such something that we talk about in languages and we try to demand that of our students. But I, I thought as a language supervisor, it would behoove me to really kind of put myself on a line and see how I did with these tests. And so I studied. And the first one wasn't hard. It was the Deutschsprache, which just shows a basic proficiency in German. But the second one was pretty difficult. And if you pass that one, then you're able to take courses at the German University. And that, that was the Mittelstufe Prüfung, and uh, I was able to be successful on that as well. It's probably on my wall, it's probably like the biggest certificate that I have is from Germany because they really like to have certificates there. One of the ways I tried to improve my German at the time was uh, listening to German news after school. And, you know, they always have some sort of documentation with a big stamp on it. Uh, you'll always see that there. So then after I, I, and I was in charge of the language program again for OPS for about a decade. Then I got the opportunity to help found 
the German Virtual Learning Academy, now, now called uh, the Arupe Academy. And uh, this is for all the Jesuit prep schools in the country. Now they've broadened it to many Catholic schools throughout the U.S. and in the world. And then after that, I went to work for Joe Ricketts as Chief Educational Officer of Opportunity Education. Uh, he's the guy who owns the Cubs and has a foundation that he started, and it helps poor students with technology throughout the world with a variety of lessons. So I was in charge of curriculum for what reached maybe 3 million students or so. So that was exciting. But Joe, like most billionaires, wants to move on a dime, and so he thought he'd come up with a new vision, and uh, I wasn't a part of that of his plan. It was pretty tough at that point to get a position. I thought, well, I'm, I've always kind of seen myself as an international guy. Well, this would be the time to take advantage of that. So my wife and I moved to the United Arab Emirates to Abu Dhabi, and I've taught English there for four years. We were at different schools because, of course, there's no mixing of the sexes there. And um, both there, and then four years, the last four years I taught in Vietnam, but both four years there, my experience in foreign language really helped me in working with those students. I knew how to chunk sentences. I knew things that I should concentrate on. I learned idiomatic expressions, or even something um, like onomatopoeia, for instance. Uh, I was much better at learning Arabic than I was at learning Vietnamese, but in Arabic, the sound that the cricket makes. Any guesses on that, Tom? What sound do you think the cricket makes in Arabic? I have no idea. All right, but you know the animals talk differently in different parts of the world. But the cricket in Arabic says jujud, which is exactly the sound the cricket makes. So there we go, jujud. <laughs> so but I want to stop a minute there about sure. uh, Abu Dhabi. So what what was the culture like there? It must have been a was it a yeah you know were you, was it, it was, hard to get used to or you know that's a good question. I'm so busy with teaching that. Uh, you know, you get thrown in there pretty quickly. Um, and something that was very Western, for instance, the hotel, we, the place we stayed at was brand new. It looked right on the sea. They gave us some money for furniture and incidentals. So we got settled pretty quickly there. Uh, and then it's such a car culture, so we had to buy a car pretty quickly. And my wife took that to work. I was, I was near a couple of my classmates or my teaching contemporaries. And so we took a car in every day. Um, but, um, you know, the culture of Islam pervades the, that culture also. So, you know, I go for a run at five o'clock and that's right when the call to prayer was coming on and there was no way that you'd, you'd escape that. So uh, the young men there were always trying to tell me, oh, Dr. Brock, you should become a Muslim. You'd be such a good Muslim. And then you could get an extra, get another wife. And I would tell them, well, I can, I can barely work with this one I have now, let alone get another one. So, so, so <laughs> they, they, they had, they had some uh, preconceptions about Americans right. too that we just drink beer and whiskey, <laughs> drink beer and whiskey, and yeah, race our cars around. I guess. So, Hollow did Hollywood have a big impact on that too? The you know, and it did, and it was very interesting that way because they were filming that Fast and Furious Six, oh. the one where the car goes between one building to another. That's actually based in a building there, a uh, big skyscraper there in Abu Dhabi. My kids were very excited about that. So I did some engaging lessons, especially those first few weeks, but it ended up being to my detriment because the students would tell each other, oh, you should get this guy's class. It's really exciting. So I had all the 
no goodniks in one class with me, and uh, everybody else was teaching about like half the students I was teaching. So, so <laughs> when you were teaching, though, how many classes per day did you teach? That's a good question. It was on a rot. It wasn't a rotating schedule. It was rotating for the week. But let's say. So it was um, like it was kind of like. Um, yeah, well, I would have four or five classes a day, so for like an hour sort of time. Okay, so and how old were the kids again? Yeah, uh, I taught. You know, it was interesting. I, I had a different plan every year I was there. And even one year I was doing a magnet for Macintosh, the Macintosh iPad, brand new, and they selected me to do that. And then the last year, an established teacher left, and the department chair said, oh, we really need our best people in 12th grade. So we're moving into 12th grade. I was like, okay, great, another prep. And so every year I, I taught I taught a different level every year. So I taught 9, 10, and, and then I taught 12. So. Now how many years was that then, six? That was that. That was four years. Four altogether. years. Okay, four. Which was a good, was a good stint. I, my wife and I were ready to go by the time we left. So, right. so you know, we we enjoyed our time there. And in Abu Dhabi, they uh, um, they also own that Etihad Airlines, which is always one of the top airlines in the world. And we were you know, silver members of that, and we traveled a lot. And we had, you know, they pick us up at our hotel and whisk us down there, and then we go through. All security was automatic. You just put your passport in and go through. So, what exactly was the, the courses you were teaching and what were they? Yeah, the courses that I was, I was teaching English, so I was getting back to my roots and teaching English at that time. But again, with teaching English, so much of it, you know, these were for second language students, and so much of it were covered by the ACTL standards. Those were the standards that they were using there. Uh, and the same thing later in Vietnam with the IB standards. Mm -hmm. So, you know, having taught German... Uh, really helped me kind of understand the language learning process and what worked for me. I tried to implement that with them also. And I taught at the Goethe Institute. In, I not taught it there, but I've been to the Goethe Institute in Munich uh, over one summer, and I picked up a lot of techniques there also. So did, um, as far as the culture there goes, then you, you went to Vietnam, correct? And right. So a totally different culture. Um Again, where Islam was so influential there, especially after the communism, uh, they still have some Catholics there in the south of Vietnam, but mostly people are pretty non-observant. They might, uh, they have some traditional New Year's rituals, uh, which are more Buddhist in nature, but uh, they're not, they're probably not doing anything on the weekends today. So, you... You, did you supervise there as well as teach both? Yeah, I did a bit. I did. I was in charge of the English department there for one year, but I really didn't like it because it was so managerial in that uh, they were the principals really weren't interested in my comments, and so I got out of that quickly and then went over to this program called CAS, which is for creativity, activity, and experience, and it's more of a pastoral one, and so I worked with students on that, which mm -hmm. was kind of a key feature of the idea. Now, what, what kind of school was it then? Was it a government-run yeah, school? This was at an international school. There, so it was, as uh, was the... You know, the for, for a communist country, Vietnam has a very burgeoning middle class, and my school was uh, working with that group. Uh, mm -hmm. And so we did have some expat... Uh, students there who were the children of teachers there. But for the most part, I'd say the school was about 95% Vietnamese. 
it was interesting though. Those students were their English was much better than the students I had in Abu Dhabi, and they were much more interested in succeeding than the students I had in Abu Dhabi. Also, uh, and many of those students would go to the United States or to Canada or to Australia to continue their education. So at Abu Dhabi, you you taught in a in a yeah, I taught in a state school. It was called Attic. So it was the Abu Dhabi Educational Council, which was in charge of that. But by the time I left, that had been taken over by the Ministry of Education for the whole United Arab Emirates. Okay. So back to Vietnam. Surprisingly enough, there was a lot of infighting between Abu Dhabi and Dubai. Right. <laughs> right. So back in Vietnam, though, the... Right. So you, you now it, you mentioned it is a communist government, right? Still, I it assume, is. yeah. It is. And, and so, for instance, for COVID, they have this this directive now, directive sixteen. People just have to stay in their in their homes. And so, uh, the only reason you can go out one a couple of days a week is to get food or to get medical care, and that's it. I had a friend this week who was out running. Nope, no running outside, even by yourself, away from people. You've got to stay in your house, and so. They're very, they're very stern on that, and you will see police, police around. And if someone does come down with COVID, they will simply shut down the whole block. So, and, and you did say, you are telling me that uh, prior to starting the show, that uh, the COVID was very, very minor, really, at the beginning, right? Right. We were, we were very fortunate last year in that there were a couple small, you know, when it started worldwide, we did shut down for a bit because Vietnam is, of course, close to China. Uh, and so they immediately closed their borders with China. I happened to be in Myanmar uh, January of 2020. And after they shut the borders, we were observing a, a ceremony with some monks. And my guide said, oh, you were so lucky. No Chinese. <laughs> So they had, cut, they had cut everybody off, and so again, Vietnam, they cut those the the border, they seal those borders directly. But we, but throughout the whole year, we would have people sneak over to try to get work, and so the virus would spread that way. But last year, we were very fortunate. I came back last year, and uh, except for a couple weeks in the fall, and then a couple weeks in the spring, I had live students there. I only had to teach uh, in a virtual way a couple of weeks. So, so you were you were pretty lucky. You yeah. were you were well received at Abu Dhabi and also at uh, in Vietnam yeah. by the yeah. people, I right? I have to say I was well received. I, I again just like teaching in America. I try to keep my classes engaging ones where I'm doing different things each day, uh, and I think they appreciate that. And in Abu Dhabi, they would get tired frequently though, and after about twenty minutes, they'd say, "Okay, Doctor Brock, that's enough for today." And then I give them a little assignment, but they work on that. Well, with our block scheduling, uh, I was, you know, our, our school is trying to be all things to all students. So when I got there, we were both doing AP, IB, and then a normal course of programs. So I was teaching the AP first, the AP uh, language section, and students were very successful. These were second language students. So I had three people take the exam. I got two fours and a three. And so one of the women who got a four, she's in pre-med now in Houston, and she was able to get out of 12 hours uh, of English that she didn't have to take. So that was very fortunate for her. And the last couple of years, our school has gone exclusively to IB, so everyone is doing IB at this point now. So did um, 
did you do a lot of the TPRS uh, uh, I, I reading? I would do some of that from time to time. I really like using that. Uh, for me, I, I would try to place, you know, you go back to Krashen's philosophy that uh, X plus one, where you try to push the students on to the next level. Again, it can't be something that's so easy that they're not challenged by it, but if you make it too difficult, then they're going to bow out of that also. So you always want to urge people to get to that next level. And indeed, in teaching those courses, differentiation was a key. I had to differentiate with, with everybody because people were in such different levels too. Yeah, that's interesting. And it, it happens the same way right in the U.S. We get exactly. into a lot of that. Um, so how about your wife through all of this? She must be a, quite a trooper to, to travel like this, but she must love traveling. Just like you, right? I do have to talk about Allison. She has been great. Uh, she had taught before. Her, her brother was in the Navy. He went to Annapolis on a scholarship there. And then she followed him over to Bahrain. And then she was teaching in Bahrain. And then she taught also three or four years in Finland, too. And so I think she's the reason why we think Finnish schools are the best. I was throw her that bone. Uh, so she was actually, she'd done more international teaching than I had the, when we got into it. But we both really love teaching. We love travel. And it's been nice when we were in Vietnam, we were at the same school, so we'd have lunch together. And um, we've had a great experience just meeting people and uh, and teaching too. So her, 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 her facility is in mathematics, however except when we're dealing with like changing money and that, and then I take over, I'm better at the, you know, mm-hmm. she's good at calculus and I don't know, Einstein, <laughs> and Einsteinian physics, but uh, changing money, I'm better at that. Oh. Uh, but uh, she's kind of the minister of our house too. So she does all the technology and that. And then I do a lot of research on the sites and where we're going and that type of thing also. So was most of the teaching live? You know, there was probably some, I assume there's quite a bit of technology in the education game there right, as well. Right, yeah, they, they have the same equipment that we do. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting with how the government, sometimes they would talk about the sharks, because I guess there was a shark several years ago that built bit a cable, and so then the whole system went down. They have like three or four cables that they're dependent on, but you know sometimes if they're, there are things that the government would rather not discuss, then they slow down the whole internet. There were also some issues too with teaching online, where you know they this the family might only have one computer, and you know you got other siblings kind of wrangling over the computer. So there were there were some issues with those sorts of things also. So where were your if in Vietnam? What were your favorite places to visit? Did you get a visit and travel around the country? Oh yeah, we, a lot? You know, we travel a lot in Vietnam. Uh, you know, she was doing administrative stuff, so she had to come back early last year. And so uh, last year we had to stay in Vietnam, so I went up to Hanoi. And Hanoi this time of year is just brutal. It is really hot. And so that was a mistake on my part. But I couldn't leave the country. Uh, The year before, the two years before that, I'd gone to Chiang Mai in Thailand. And Chiang Mai has some fascinating temples. They have some great food. They have this one dish with pork and noodles. And I could just eat that dish all day. You can't find it anywhere else but in Chiang Mai. How about in Abu Dhabi? Did you travel a lot over there? Yeah, we did. We went to a, a number of places. We went to one place which was kind of by Saudi Arabia near the empty quarter. It was kind of like a, a Arab's Disneyland where they built this hotel 
just out and we ate outside and there were sand dunes everywhere. And you could ride an ATV or something else around. We opted not to do that. But you know, just in terms of how they set up the hotel with its furniture and, and inlay and different pots they had around, uh, that, that worked out very well also. And, and when we were in Abu Dhabi, of course, we went to Dubai a few times, but we also went up to Oman. And it was interesting because uh, the United Arab Emirates has only been a country since 1971, so not a long time. And up there in Russell Kema, they joined the Emirates a couple of years later in 1973. But there was some talk about Oman also joining, but Oman didn't want to do that because they have the best they have the best scenery there in Oman. The water is just a deep green, and they have these fantastic rock formations. We saw some dolphins swimming there. So this is all within driving distance of Abu Dhabi. It was funny. My wife and I had a little goodbye to goodbye to Dubai one weekend before we left, and so she got me tickets to the opera. And so we went to see the opera there, and the boxes there are like fishing boats, and so you know they're always trying to. Uh, I'll do things there, but I looked and saw, well, what was going on in Dubai that weekend? And so, uh, in addition to going to Great Brunch, we saw Guns N' Roses there at, uh, at uh, Autism Rock Serena, which was just like a field out in the desert. So, there we go. So, there was somebody that, one of the elementary school teachers that I had met at Ackville in Colorado years ago, she ended up going teaching there for a while. You do you remember who that was? You probably didn't know her, but you did. Oh no, to... I I, well, I reconnected. Yeah, I reconnected with one of my Central States board members, and that was uh, Linda Meyer. And she left the year. She was there three years, but she she had taught. She was from she was from Colorado, right? Right, right. I figured you probably ran into her, yes. Yeah, I did. Well, I actually ran into her the year she came back to visit people. So we got together one Sunday for brunch uh-huh. and just had a great time. It was super seer. But she really got a pretty good deal, I mean, in, in that she was teaching kindergarten. Uh-huh. In kindergarten, you only have to teach a half day. So uh-huh. she had a lot more free time than I did. Yes, okay. <laughs> so, so with all of this going on, then... Um, uh, you came back to the United States, right? Oh, I was going to ask you one more question about sure. food. What about the food? Which country had the best food? That's great. Probably, you know, you've been to Italy. They've got great food there. But I have to say Lebanon. I took my wife, uh, Allison, for her birthday into Lebanon one weekend. We left out of Dubai at maybe like 2 a.m. We arrived mm-hmm. there maybe 5 a.m. Oh, just like a fatouche salad. Ah, it's the best. And we went to one place where they were, uh, this guy was grilling some uh, some little kebabs. Oh, they had the best food in Lebanon. It's just wonderful. Okay, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> how did you get interested in world languages and culture through all of this? That's and when a great you're... question, Tom. Uh, again, I talked about uh, in high school I took Latin, and I saw that I had some facility there. I took German, and then I continued uh, with German, and in my last couple of years at South High, I was I was the president of our German association in Nebraska. So they were taking me to some Griffith Institute sponsored things in Chicago. We'd stay at the Swiss Hotel. I want to say I did that four, three or four different times, and so I got a lot of PD as a result of that. I had studied French that one summer at UNO, and uh, again as the language supervisor, I. Um, 
study a lot of Spanish there and also sat in on a class there also. You know, I think culture is huge because what are you going to talk about uh, if you don't talk about the culture? And, you know, I, I was sad during my time as the international languages supervisor, you know, I saw the demise of the FLEX program. And this was during you No know, Child Left Behind, middle school principals were trying to, um, to leverage, you know, reading. I had one student who's not only taking English, but he was also taking reading and vocabulary building and other things, you know, but he wasn't taking foreign language anymore. So I was sad to see that go. Um, but um, I was always trying to get teachers to, well, let's shake up this flex program, you know, let's do some things differently than talking about the same colors or flags or um, counting. Uh, we need to make things different and more engaging for students. So that's always been kind of my mantra, though, too. I did have some success as a supervisor in that we added Chinese while I was uh, in OPS as the supervisor. We added Spanish for Spanish speakers. We were the first, one of the first districts to add Spanish for Spanish speakers. That was in 1999. We added Chinese in about 2002. I was trying to add Arabic, but we didn't have enough of a... Uh, of a population really clamoring for it. Um, so that didn't happen. Um, what else happened during my tenure there? Um, let's see here. Oh, I did. I, you know, I, good, I know a good idea when I steal one, Tom. So I remember talking to some supervisors who were having some Spanish students take that AP exam in Spanish. <laughs> and so I did that with my elementary also. And so they, they, Six, some middle school students who were who had grown up in Spanish houses. So, they took AP tests and they did just great. Uh, so that was in the paper. I, re, I don't know if you remember when we were doing the Year of Languages. It's about twenty years ago or so now. Yes. And in the year of Languages. I was almost arrested when I was downtown talking to people in German. And <laughs> the police came up and talked to me. So it was it was a big article in the paper there. And then also I was and. Doing the German stuff, we piloted the National German Week also for uh, in Nebraska, and that, that, I think they're still using that right now. So that was successful. So, is your favorite country to visit then Germany? I assume. You know, that's a great question. I love going to Germany in terms of the culture. I've mm -hmm. got some great pictures that I could send you when we went to uh, one of those Weinox fests, those German Christmas markets. Oh, it was just great to be over there at that time. You know, it's so hard to pick a favorite country. I was talking about with my wife today, and we were saying, you know, it depends what you're really into. I mean, in terms of some of the some of the geography I saw, I climbed up to this big butte in Sri Lanka, which was just amazing. In Indonesia, I went to that island with the Komodo dragons and you know, was just a few feet away, a few feet away, risking my life. My wife jumped in the waters and she was swimming with uh with those stingrays there. Uh, but then, you know, I, I really can't really compare to, say, Cambodia when we went to Angkor Wat, or even that last trip when we were in Myanmar. It was just amazing. But I, I'm, Tom, like you, I'm ready to go back to Spain, ready to have a little tapas, <laughs> some sangria, yeah, just the, kick back. The food you know, is I, incredible. I love, I love going to Madrid, too, because I'm really into the whole art scene and just being able to go to the Prado or... Um, you know, I didn't go to the Moreau Museum. I still kick myself, but I had gone to four other museums at that time. So my wife was kind of museumed out. So there's they need to go back to, there, to Moreau. Yeah, there's such great museums there, you know? The, and oh, the, and the life is, is just very dynamic, especially in the summer, right? It's just really nice. Right. Um, so the, um, 
back to the, um, you visited a lot of, how many countries have you visited? You know, I haven't counted them up, so I do need to do that at some point. Well, it uh, must be a lot, right? I would assume. Yeah, that, and that was really the time. I'm looking at my schedule this year with the Montgomery County Public Schools, and guess what? In America, we don't have as much time off. But in Vietnam, they would have a fall, <laughs> fall break for a week. We'd go out then. And then they'd have a Christmas break for a couple of weeks. Okay, we'd travel then. Then about a month later, they have their tech break for two weeks. So we'd go out then. And then they'd have a spring break. Okay, and that's all during the year. Is so it, with some great opportunities, you know, we, again, we went to just around that area. The Olympics are taking place now, but one of our best times was going to Osaka and Kyoto uh, maybe about 20 months or so ago. And they were getting ready for the Olympics. They were painting all the shrines and that. So it was a very exciting time to be there. Now, uh, you mentioned that you're in, you're in Maryland now, right? So right. And you're involved in, uh, what's the name of the school district there? You're... Uh, the name of the school district there is uh, Montgomery County. Is it's it a very this... large school district. They have over 140,000 students. So I want to say it's like the fifth largest district. And I know that you were involved in some JNCL stuff as I was you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, a lot, yes, yes. Yeah, and so, so some of those outer suburbs, you know, like Silver Springs, Bethesda, yes. all of those are Montgomery County Public Schools. So they have some schools which are very rural, and then they have some schools that have only a 5% white population. And do you know who used to be in, I think, at Montgomery County Schools years back? Miriam Met. Miriam Met. Remember Miriam Met? Oh, yeah, sure. I remember her well. She she, I think she was at Montgomery in this Montgomery. She was the supervisor know, there or something. I know Pat Bar Harrison was also. I, I think she was in here also. Miriam went to IU, and uh, I think okay. she was a year ahead of me, maybe in graduate school. Okay. But uh, she had graduated from IU in Bloomington. Um, they should put her in the list of famous alumni here. Oh, yeah. She's. she's Quite, quite did a lot for did a lot for world language education. Um, so um, back to the uh, oh, you were talking about other places. The other places that we really liked going, my wife and I, we really liked Egypt. Now Egypt, uh, you know, you do have to kind of get past some of the danger, uh, the danger in some ways. In that we went just like a few weeks after. The Russians blew up that plane, <laughs> or somebody oh, there blew it up. Uh, and so we went to a place, and yeah, we went to a resort there, and instead of having like 250 people, they had 15 people. But we were able to be at Abu Simbel and just walk straight through the pyramids, and it was just amazing. We really enjoyed that. And another place I really enjoyed that I never thought I would, Tom, was India. We went to India over one spring break, um, and, you know, we did the Taj Mahal and things around Delhi and that. But I liked it so much that we went for the same thing the next year and went to some different sites. We went to Rishikesh where the Beatles were, and then we went to Amritsar to see the Golden Temple and that. So um, when you decided to go uh, overseas and teach, right. did you just, this was just, uh, you just wanted to do it, you just wanted the experience of it all, you and your wife of traveling and, and yeah, being you know, involved in other cultures. Some of it was when I was let go by this, by Joe Ricketts and Opportunity Education. It was at a bad time in that, you know, a lot of the hiring takes place before the summer. Mm -hmm. And so 
Uh, I was kind of the, on the outside looking in, and we had this opportunity. And uh, I, I have thought, well, you know, I've talked a lot about internationalism, mm-hmm. but now it's kind of the time in my life to do something about it. So, and it does provide you, uh, it provide, makes you much more sympathetic in terms of a language educator also, because you just know how difficult it is to learn a language well. You can do some things poorly, but to do it well, it, it's going to take time and a big investment also. Yes, yes. Now, um, well said. That was really, really well said. Um, what about um, this idea of uh, language learning today? Why is it so important to learn a world language? Uh, I think it's. I think it's just important to connect with people. And even in Vietnamese, where I wasn't great, I went to get my nails done in Omaha last week, and I know enough Vietnamese in a nail salon that I could throw out some things and they're clapping and shouting and that. And even when I went to Uganda, I learned some Swahili there and was able to communicate in a rudimentary way, introduce myself and that. It just it just shows kind of a relational aspect that you're not going to get if you're just using English all the time. And where I like to talk about it is in terms of jokes. Because if you can do some joking with people, then you've really kind of got it down. And I remember waiting on the subway with this German when we were there maybe four or five years ago. We were in Munich and the train was running late and so I said something and he agreed with me about how, how things have gone to hell. Uh, and, uh, you know, that was great. Or even even my Arabic got pretty good. I was, I was learning this Gulf Arabic and I would go and take classes with a, a woman who was from Morocco or she was either from Morocco or from Jordan. But her, she knew kind of more of the local parlance. And so I, I took those classes and I got pretty good. I took a couple of years of uh, both modern Arabic that I would study on my own through a variety of technology programs, but then also taking these classes with her. And so we were, I was traveling on a plane, Tom, and I was on the end seat. And then um, a guy who was right next to the window, he kept wanting to cross over about every hour. And the guy in the <laughs> middle and I, you know, we have to get up and wake up and let him through to use the toilet or whatever. So I was, I, I said to the person next to him, I said, if we were in jail, we would have to kill him. He thought it was the funniest thing ever. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> so what, when, when we talk about um, um, creativity, for example, today, Right. You and you've seen a lot of creative people as you travel, especially. I have. I have. And I always right. I, I sometimes think traveling makes us more aware of, of creative people. And you see people in different formats, different culture, cultural settings, and then even I think it has a great impact on people who travel. Nobody ever says much about this, but uh, I kinda have a little um, some thoughts on it myself a lot and I always think that you become more creative when you travel, right? I, I think that's true to a great extent because if you travel, then you're taking a risk. You know, it's easy to sit home in your lazy boy recliner and just complain about things. But uh, by traveling, you know that things aren't going to go well. Yes. And uh, you have to kind of be prepared for that. And, uh, and I know for me... I've grown much more Buddhist in my approach because I just expect things to go wrong. And then it doesn't frustrate me as much. Okay. So, uh, and, and Tom, I, I think you'll agree with this too. There are a lot of people in teaching who they go into teaching because they were in a classroom and have never thought about doing anything else. So uh, we've got some of that also. But yeah. I, I, I think 
I, I resonate with your point about creative people and teaching. I know for me, that was one of the reasons why I needed to get out of teaching German after seven years because I knew that a first year German wasn't going to change a whole lot or second year German. It was going to be pretty much the same thing. Yes. Uh, and I can try to bring some different things to it. And one of the things I thought I I brought to the classroom was trying to kind of push the limits with some things. For instance, if we were doing a clothing unit, then we might go and say, look at some German fashion and really try to get into the culture a little bit more. Or maybe we go back in history and look at what German fashion looked like a hundred years ago. Uh, now for uh, a little shout out to Liz Hoffman here. She's listening. Uh, a buddy of mine, Gary Kastrick and I in the mid nineties, we won a grant through U.S. West, and Liz facilitated this in Lincoln, Nebraska for us. Uh, so we got a new new computer for each of us, personal computer, but we had this unit called Letters from the Fatherland. So he was a history teacher, and I was teaching German. So we kind of looked at the historical perspectives, and then we would write letters back and forth from, people, from Americans who were settling there at the time, and then the Germans would respond and so on. So uh, that ended up being a, a fairly good project as well. You know, it's interesting because I do pass out my resume from time to time, and what people always talk about is karaoke in the classroom. In about 1990, about 2000, I guess it was probably in the, about 2005, Dr. Karen Robinson and I did a thing in Nebraska and uh, at the Apple conference on karaoke in the classroom, and she did Spanish and I did German. But that was really a good way of, of getting kids involved, and then they were yes. singing. Yes, music is, yes, music is, is, is right. phenomenal, right, for, for involvement. So what about... Um, in, in the, I'd like to say hi to Liz Hoffman, too, if she's listening. She was a great, great uh, world language educator. Wow. Did, did great stuff. Um, what about your thoughts on world language teaching today, the good and what could be improved? Hmm. Now, one of the changes I see, Tom, is just more technology-embedded things. I know I was looking at just improving my German recently, and they've got so much good stuff on Deutsche Welle and in a real practical context that I think that that can be great. When I was in Vietnam, I tried to do some stuff on italki. So I would meet with a guy, and we'd meet online, and he had a little curriculum that he'd send me, and then we'd kind of talk back and forth about things. And so I did that for a while, and it was somewhat successful. So I think that uh, the technology really gets me excited. I'm kind of sad with the demise of some of these programs. You know, I talked about the Flex program. I know in OPS I was also in charge of some some uh, elementary programs in Spanish. One of our first ones was uh, one in Spanish at a predominantly African-American school. And it was really interesting. I, I, you know, I couldn't do a lawsuit myself, but I was always warning the school district that they, they needed to have an articulated path through the middle school and on to high school. We had something at high school, but there was nothing at the middle school. Um, but that kind of fell on deaf ears, and now they no longer have that. I think translation also has a place, too. I was just watching Jimmy Fallon, and he had he has this little thing where he has popular singers on, but they have their, they have, like, translated lyrics or, like, the song title translated from one language and then translated back to English. So, for instance, the contemporary singer Billy Eilish, she has a song called Bad Guy, and when that's translated back, it's Evil Young Boy. <laughs> so, so you know, some things, if you don't have the language, it's not, things can be definitely lost in translation there. Uh, you talked about, I, I think another thing that teachers might do is listen to SCOLA. I was a big SCOLA proponent. Um, that comes out of uh, Iowa, just 
across the line from Omaha, um, but they always do a lot of uh, news in various languages, and I found that, that was good. Also, for me, I, I, I noticed that it really tried to help me was chatting with myself a lot. So I would try to have a little dialogue. I try to go longer each week. So when I started teaching German, I really didn't use a lot of German. But the time, by the time I left, I was using practically all of German. It's so interesting, too, when you have supervisors come in because I had one week where Sharon Watts came in and told me, you know, that I needed to do talk more German, which was true. But then I had my assistant principal come in, and he told me that I needed to talk less German. <laughs> so you can you can have people across. Oh from, yes, there there's there are some great tales about that. I I could tell many of those. I'm sure there now, are. Now now one of the things of interest that uh, we're we're in this mode I think in education right now where we we want to really get the kids speaking the language. But I go back to this this problem, which is eternal. It seems like, and the actual amount of uh, when the kids get through in high school studying Spanish or college, are they really fluent? And uh, how fluent are they? And can we do a better job? And I really believe we can as far as speaking goes, especially the speaking aspect. And uh, so um, I think the TPRS is really good, the reading, but I, I think we have to be careful that we don't get just bogged down in doing one thing, right? The, you know, and we, totally, totally agree. And when you look at how much time a student will spend in the classroom, I think when you play that out for a whole year, it's like the student was there 14 or 18 days. Yes, yes. So, you know, you can't, you can't have those great expectations. But, 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 you know, it was good for me because I would talk about proficiency too and how though I, my mother tongue, though my native tongue is English, I can't talk about nuclear physics in English. I don't know anything about it, or right, right. It. So it's all kind of topic specific, there, isn't it? But I, but you go back to the days, probably 15, 20 years ago, maybe twenty five years ago, we were on this this path of pragmatism. Remember, in the classroom and right. world language education, and we things were done that were practical and that work for the teachers, mm-hmm. uh, as far as activities, et cetera, et cetera. And I think we have to keep that in mind in this day and age that we have to look at other things. And you, talk, you talked about teaching about foods, about or music, or singing in the classroom. And we can't just get bogged down where we're, you know, all we're doing is reading. And I, and I think TPR is reading is great and it's fun. And I like to do it and et cetera. But I do think that we have to remember that there's so many other things that we can be doing too teaching world languages. And and many of them, you, are, you can be, as you remember what we used to call um, a lot of this comprehensive input, et cetera, we used to call it uh, speaking in the target language, right? Okay, exactly. And now we're, we're calling it comprehensive input, but but we did a lot of comprehensive input years ago. And, uh, uh, but I think, again, we have to be careful of some of the things we're doing and, and not get so bogged down that we don't, remember to do the fun activities as you brought up again, you know, the acting, the, all these little things that, and the fun things that make language study worthwhile and not just get stuck in where we're, you know, in one mode, right? And as you said a while ago, translation's important. Uh, and uh, it is nice when the kids know 
understand you know what they're doing in language right or they they understand how to form sentences and and understand perhaps the structure of language right and not just uh, they're not just parrots right and uh, et cetera et cetera so that's what the poet Goethe says too he says uh, you know by by learning a foreign language you have to also learn your own language yes so correct I think that's key too I know that uh, you know it just makes you more aware of how you how you use language yes in a variety of registers or tones I know when I took that Mittelstufe uh, Prüfung I had to to analyze a section which was on accommodations for the blind in the subway. Okay, so that was a little bit different than going out to see a movie. <laughs> yes, yes, I did. Right, right. So some of it is, yes, you're totally different. And uh, right. so what about uh, really uh, this, this uh, creativity factor? Um, I, we talked about traveling. I think travel's the best thing you can do to be, get, improve your creativity, don't you? I mean... I think it's big, certainly, yes. I, I, it, it helps you kind of recognize differences among students, I think, too. You know, and, and you and I have talked about our families also, and I have two daughters. One just graduated from law school, Claudia, and she would succeed at anything. I mean, she is just kind of motivated, intrinsically motivated. Well, my second daughter is probably more of a gifted child, but at the same time, if she didn't like the teacher, well, she wasn't doing much. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, okay. So uh, the uh, technology, what about technology in this day and age? Do you think that, uh, that we have to be careful that we don't go overboard or, and maybe... You yeah, know? I think it's easy. I, you know, I, I really... Um, what the, what's that program? I'm sure you know what it is. Um, I... I was doing a language program where where they would look at your know, like your tone of voice and kind of chart it up in terms of your speaking, and I thought, I found that was very successful. Also, mm-hmm. some of the, some of the dual language stuff, I always seem to have problems with some of the diacritical marks, so I never get very far with that. <laughs> uh, and I noticed that there are a lot of there's a lot of technology too, which kind of which uses the movies in that, or uses television shows, mm-hmm. and I think that that's that can that can reach students as kind of on a kind of an engaging level, but it is kind of a surface knowledge as well. So yes. I think I think to dive deeper, you really need to have someone who's gone through it and understands instruction. Too. Yes. You know, Michael Jordan, he was he's a great basketball player, but when he goes to uh, coaching, not so hot. <laughs> he has a hard time breaking it down instead of just saying, "Oh, you know, you just do it." Yes. Well, uh, not so much. <laughs> so, what about uh, a good world language teacher today? What do you think the important aspects are of being a good I think you have to be flexible you have to know the the levels of your students that was kind of a nice thing for me being the only German teacher in my school when students would come back after a year I would be other students other teachers were kind of getting to know their students and I was probably at a November level with those students who were returning because I knew what they could do what they were successful at and then what they struggled with too. So uh-huh. I think, I think knowing the students is crucial. And I think having an enthusiasm for the language you're teaching is key too, because students resonate with that also. And you want to keep them, you know, moving forward in the language too. So I, I had some teachers, sad to say, who wanted to kill students with grammar. And um, I, in a lot of ways, I thought it was kind of a more of an exercise of control because the teacher knew that and then they would kind of release that to the students. <laughs> but 
But, uh, you know, I, I always like the kind of the, the analogy of surfing in that, you know, I was on a big surfboard. Oh, it's going pretty well. No, but sometimes you do things and then you kind of fall off and wipe yourself off and move forward. But again, it's kind of like uh, when you cook or, or teaching is like right. cooking and everything else. You right. have to have variety, though, right? A little bit of everything, maybe. And, exactly. And, exactly. you know, where it all is, you know, using the language as much as you can, et cetera. Um, now, do, uh, do you have any advice for any the young world language teacher just starting out? Yeah, what I would do, I would uh, try to keep it interesting for yourself by coming up with some goals for yourself with the language just to kind of keep yourself growing. Um, so, you know, what would you like to research? And one of the things that I was always wanting to do, it's so interesting now being in Vietnam, Tom, because for these young high school students, they're much more uh, interested in talking about their sexuality than I ever saw students in America, for instance. But if I were teaching those students German, I might look at, say, sexuality in the Weimar Republic. Uh, certainly that would... That would uh, it would kind of engage them with yes. the issues they're having too. So yes. I, I, I would find that fascinating also. Now, so before we end the show, of course, I want you to see if you can say a couple sentences in Vietnamese for everybody. And oh, no problem. Well, again, we were talking before the show, and I got very good at the directions <laughs> because we had a taxi pass to get to school, and then anywhere you had to take a taxi, or they have this thing called Grab, which is like Uber, Uber, but it's on a bike, it's on a motorbike. So I took my life in my hands quite a bit, crossing the street. They say just keep going, and I did that, and I was never injured. So thanks be to God, thanks I got. All right, uh, so here's some directions here. All right, so ditang, ditang, All right, so that means go straight and then take a right. Okay. All right, how did I do, how did I do there? Good, very good. How about uh, Arabic? Go, how about some? Uh, yeah, let me think of some Arabic here. Uh, I'm, I'm just thinking of Inshallah right now. Inshallah, uh, Inshallah Mabruk, uh, Inshallah Mabruk Al Eid. They're just celebrating a, a festival today because their Eid Al Adha finished this week. Okay. How about German? German, kein Problem. <laughs> okay. Was machst du jetzt? <laughs> How about French? French, je m'appelle Dr. Marc. Je parle un peu de français. Je te dis le français, il est longtemps. How about Espanol? Espanol, todos los días. Todos los días, el toca de guitarra. Okay. So, that's, that's pretty amazing stuff, guy, I tell you. So, listen, we are about... I'm not good at any of them, you know, just kind of mediocre. Oh, uh, you're good at a lot of them, I can tell. What a great experience you've uh, had throughout your life and all the experiences and how great that you're sharing them with everybody. I'm increasingly grateful for that, too, because yes. it's nice to have this opportunity. And, you know, well, it's interesting coming back because, you know, I do... I would post some Facebook pictures and then when I see people like, oh man, I lived through you by curious. I loved all the places you went to. And I'd say, well, I didn't even know you were looking at it. So, great. <laughs> so, it, here's what's going to happen next. I'm going to end the show and you okay. stay on a minute. We'll chat a little bit more at the end here after I, 
I uh, say goodbye to everybody, and I'm going to say goodbye here in a minute. You can s see how informal the show is, but you don't don't uh, get off uh, of the of the the program yet. And I'll, I will end the show, and then we'll chat some more. Okay. Okay. Okay, and listeners, thank you for being on this uh, here with us today and uh, taking time out to listen to Steve uh, Brock with all of these amazing experiences of his great travels and all his great great work he's done in world language education, helping spread uh, the the interest in in cultures all over the world. And uh, Steve, we thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a great honor to have you on the show, and. Uh, we wish you nothing but the best, and uh, we certainly wish a lot of good things for the Kansas City Chiefs and the Indianapolis Colts, of course. <laughs> so <laughs> you've got that quarterback, and we don't, uh, I tell you. But it, will have it, is of, it is a bit of a help, and my wife has already got me tickets for when, they, when the Chiefs play the Washington football team here. Oh, so my goodness. All right. Well, get, guess who the Colts play the last game? I think they play the Chiefs, don't they? No, they the last game home game we play uh, uh, New England here or not New England. I'm sorry, not New England. Um, Tampa Bay with Tom Brady. Yeah, that's a yeah the the world champs. That's our last game of the season. So uh, I'll be I I'll be there. You know, I'm a fanatic about the Colts and the Pacers. So uh, listen, you have been so kind and nice again. Thank you so much for being on the show and uh, listeners please check us out in August for more interesting broadcasts and uh, we're going to try to diversify more and have uh, a few different languages and try to I'm, I'm so glad Steve was on because he represents a variety of languages and so uh, we're for all languages not just Spanish or French all languages so as is Steve and uh, so Steve thank you so much you've been awesome and uh, we'll uh, chat here in a bit, okay? Sounds great, Tom. I really enjoyed it. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you, listeners. Have a great uh, rest of the week. Talk to you soon. And please spread the word to have people listen to our show. This is our 10th year. So uh, get some more people on board. Thank you.